Hey, Token CEO listeners, you can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost my turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. So for women athletes, the media portrays this idea that it's more important what your body looks like than what your body can mm. do mm-hmm. athletically. Yeah, that's interesting. So it God, reduces the age agency of females reducing the agency of women it's so it's so fucking maddening it's 2021 it's thursday september 30th last day of september last i checked this is episode 183 of the token ceo podcast we are presented by sports research I don't know if you guys have the Peloton app. This is not an ad for Peloton, but there is this woman named Irina. She does strong core, strong body. Have you guys done strong core, strong body? Oh, it's amazing. Anyway, she just yells at you in German for five minutes and helps you get better abs. So shout out Irina. I love her. I love just her yelling at me in German. If I don't feel like doing an abs class on Peloton, though, the thing I turn to is sports research. So I turn to them for collagen. They've got their at-home workout kit. They've got waist trimmers. They've got that ever-so-effective sweet sweat. If you go to sportsresearch.com and add all of your favorite products to your basket, it can help improve your workout. It can increase circulation and weight loss. Use code ERICA for 25% off at checkout. So go to sportsresearch.com, use promo code ERICA, and get 25% off at checkout. We have headlines. We are going to talk about the implosion happening at Aussie Media. We're going to get into Q&A. Last week, we announced our Barstool Hockey Cup. So we're going to talk about the business of women's sports. And then finally, we're going to try to adult and talk about managing upwards. Let's talk about Aussie Media. So this story has been all over the journal, all over the New York Times. Ben Smith, who used to be the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed, wrote a damning piece in the New York Times about it. Aussie Media has been rumored to be inflating their performance numbers. Dirty little secret, everyone in the industry inflates their performance numbers. This was actually one of the most refreshing things that I felt at Barstool is these guys didn't even know how to count their numbers, let alone inflate them. So Aussie Media trying to raise $40 million from Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs smartly said, hey, can we talk to some of your partners? You say your numbers are great. You say that you're this big cultural force. Let's fact check that. Smart, smart, smart on Goldman Sachs' part. Aussie also thought they were very smart. They made up a Gmail address. They connected their counterparts at Goldman Sachs with an executive at YouTube. They go to get on a Zoom call and the YouTube exec says, oop, my Zoom isn't working. Can we just move to a conference call? They move to a conference call. The YouTube exec, his voice sounds digitally altered. Everybody on the call notices it. So Goldman Sachs, smart, smart goes and reaches out to the YouTube exec. They write him directly. They don't use the email address or the Gmail address that Aussie Media gave them. They actually got this guy's email address. Lo and behold, he'd never heard of them. He certainly wasn't on that conference call. He wasn't involved in reviewing or discussing Aussie Media. 
And what's come to light is that the COO of Aussie Media created an email address, set up a fake conference call, spoke as though he were the executive from YouTube, all doing so to help Aussie Media secure $40 million in funding. Google found out. Google gets pissed. They call the FBI. Now there's a very large investigation underfoot about securities fraud. Also interesting to note is that Carlos Watson, the CEO of Aussie, he blamed his COO's actions on a mental health crisis. He was very supportive of him. He asked for privacy and to give this person time so that they could sort out their issues. The internet is having a field day with this. A lot of people are talking about the corporate culture at Aussie. A lot of people are talking about a culture that can create and and promote this type of fraud. Apparently, Watson himself was the one who sent the Gmail address to Goldman Sachs. So you have to wonder if he knew about it. So lots of news in the media business. You don't get stories like this very often. This one is certainly sensational. And it will be interesting to see One, what happens to Aussie media, and two, what this means for other digital media companies showing their metrics and looking to get investment based on those metrics. Okay, so that's Aussie media. That's a head scratcher. The headline in the Wall Street Journal was, a generation of American men give up on college. Their sentiment is, quote unquote, I just feel lost. So the number of men who are enrolled at two and four year colleges has fallen behind women at record levels. Uh, There is a massive, massive education gap in the United States, namely that white men and men at large are enrolling and matriculating, matriculating is a great word, they're matriculating at rates that fall dramatically behind women. When you looked at the close of the 2020-2021 academic year, women made up almost 60% of college students, which was an all-time high. Men made up just over 40%. What this means is that in the next few years, women will earn college degrees at a rate of two to one times men. So I think this is going to change a whole bunch of things. Who works in the household? How do you think about raising children? Are women going to have to be the breadwinners And the domestic caregivers, does this change the whole notion of what it is to be a man in the workplace versus a woman or what it is to be a man at home versus a woman? So many questions. I think the saddest thing from this is why are men lost? Why are they not going to college? Is it video games? Is it culture? Is it they don't believe that education actually gets them very much or buys them anything? So a whole bunch of things to look into there. Next up, we've got the Washington Capitals. The Washington Capitals are the first NHL team to sell advertising on their jerseys. And no surprise, the advertiser is Caesars Entertainment, which is a sports book. Washington announced a multi-year partnership with Caesars Entertainment that will put a Caesars Sportsbook logo on the Capitals' home and third jerseys beginning in the 2022 season. What it is is a three by three and a half inch patch. It's on the upper right chest area of the jersey. The NHL allowed teams starting the summer to sell sponsorship of the jerseys. These jersey patches won't show up until next season. And what's interesting to note is when you look at jerseys, if you think about what countries have have advertising on their jerseys, you think mostly about European sports, you certainly think about soccer, and what type of companies advertise on those jerseys, they're gambling companies. So no surprise that Caesars jumped on the bandwagon. They led the pack in terms of sponsoring the Caps jerseys. 
What's fascinating about this, though, is the UK is going the opposite direction of the US. I would guess that we're going to head this direction ourselves in a number of years. The UK is starting to ban more and more gambling advertising, including patches on jerseys. All right. So that's the headlines. Apparently, most of you who listen to this drop off this podcast now. So indulge me and just stick with us for a couple more minutes. We are going to talk to you about Ladder. So Ladder is an insurance company. You're probably like, yeah, right, Erica, I'm going to stay listening to this and you're going to give me an insurance ad. No, really. Um, Insurance is important. You never know what's going to happen in your life. You never know when something's going to hit you. You get sick, you get hit by a bus, you get laid off at work. I don't know, something calamitous happens to you during your workout. Uh, What's great about Ladder, I'm obsessed with digital first companies. I don't even go to the doctor anymore. I basically have an app. I have a relationship with an app that's now my doctor, which is probably alarming. So Ladder's 100% digital. There's no doctors, no needles, and no paperwork. So long as you're applying for less than $3 million in insurance coverage, which let's face it, most of us are. All you need is a laptop or your phone, and you need under five minutes to apply. Their algorithms work in real time. They're intuitive for you. You answer a bunch of questions and it helps create the right recommendation for you. The other great thing is you can go through the ladder process. You can cancel at any time. There's no hidden feeds and you can get a full refund if you change your mind within the first 30 days. Go to ladderlife.com slash token to see if you're instantly approved. So that's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash token and see if you qualify. Next up, we've got Q&A. First Q&A. This one was a DM for me. I loved this one. Erica, I work for my dad now and I've proven myself to be a quality worker who constantly puts the company first. For the last two months, I've been working in a less important dead end part of the company to make up for their lack of production. Now I'm off track of any type of promotion or benefits, i.e. I want a company car. Is there any way I can use these months of extremely discouraged work as leverage without being a dick to your dad? Okay, so look, this happens to people in a lot of jobs. Sometimes if you're a company man or you're a company woman, you're like, shit, this thing has to get done. It's ugly. Nobody wants to do it. It's not sexy. It's not glamorous. And you are just the person to get into the trenches and make it happen. My advice would be this. If you are toiling in the trenches in the non-sexy part of your company and you feel like doing that is going to get you off track, I would say a couple things. One is you're wrong. It's teaching you something. You're learning how to fix things. You're learning how to build things. And ultimately, you're helping the company. Now, this is only true if you write down what it is you're doing and you convey why this really matters. I don't think doing a good job and working hard, even if you're not in the most sexy group, I don't see why that would get you off track for a promotion. But if you're in a group and you feel like the work you're doing is going unnoticed because you're not in a big high visibility work area, then make your work visible. Write down what you're doing, explain how it helps the company, explain your process for how you made things happen and why you did it and how it makes the company better. I think you should share that with your manager. You share it with your counterparts. If you've got an HR department, share it with them. Share those things first and then make the ask for things that you want in return. Hey, I'd love to get recognized. I'd love to get promoted. I'd love to get a company car. You should be rational. Like, do you need a company car to do your job? 
the answer is no, then maybe that's your answer. But there's no reason that doing the right thing for the company can't equate to having the company do the right thing for you. You just have got to convey what you're doing in a way that the company would understand. And that's not being a dick. All right, next one. What's the best way to network and build professional connections both remotely and in person without it being awkward? Ugh, this is a hard one. Um, Meeting people... Uh, on the internet can be hard and it can be awkward and you're kind of both staring at one another being like, what are we doing here? If you get the opportunity to meet someone who could possibly be part of your network or who you could learn from, come prepared to the conversation, have a bunch of questions that you want to ask, have a short pat little way to describe what you're doing and why that should be interesting in return. I think this is true whether you're DMing someone to make a connection, whether you're reaching out to them on LinkedIn, whether you're sending them a cold email, whether you find yourself on some type of networking Zoom, or for example, if you're in our Facebook group. So networking is only awkward if you let it be awkward. Networking is only not useful if you let it not be useful. So be prepared, have something to say. Think about the person you're networking with and what they're interested in and make sure you have a bunch of questions that you want to glean and you want the answers to in return. All right, last last Q&A. This is a good one. This is tough. I work directly with a coworker who I cannot get along with. They always talk politics, office drama. They never seem to agree with me on anything. We have to get along because we're on a team where we rely on one another. But every day it's getting more and more unbearable. Without this person, I love the job. Do I leave because of this one person? What's your advice on this situation? Ooh, this is tough. I think most everybody has had or has a coworker just like this. I do not think your coworker should drive you out of your job. One is you try to avoid this person at all costs. Like you do whatever it is you need to do. Move your desk, ask for a different cube, only have interactions with this person when you absolutely have to in a meeting. What I would probably choose to do though is be like, what the fuck with the person? Like I would confront it. I would say you're negative. You're always talking about politics. You're obsessed with office drama and it's making it hard for me to partner with you. Now, if you do this, you have to be prepared that this person could have a reaction. But what I would say is it will elicit a change. While we're talking about strain and drama at work, let's just talk about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is awesome. BetterHelp is a huge partner of Barstool Sports. I have had an enlightening around therapy. I think therapy can be incredibly helpful. I saw my therapist today. I had a big, long cry. So there's no shame in crying and there's no shame in seeing a therapist. Therapy can help you be your best self. It can help you work through issues that you're having. It can help you sort out why you're feeling anxious and what you can do about it. And the other thing is going to therapy is just like going to a trainer or just like going to a dentist or just like getting your yearly checkup. You want to do it more than yearly, but it's good to talk to a professional about what's going on with you in an attempt for you to be at your best. BetterHelp is customized online therapy. You can text with a therapist. You can do a phone conversation with a therapist. You can do a video chat. You can do a live chat. You can be seen on camera or you can just talk over the phone. Personally, when I'm having an ugly cry, I prefer not to be on camera because then I have to be like, excuse me, I'm crying and I have to blow my nose. But you can have your therapy any way you want it. Go to betterhelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash token and see if BetterHelp is for you. 
We got a big episode today. We are talking about the business of women's sports. Headline, the business of women's sports sucks. This is a depressing conversation. I'm depressed about it. I think the thing that sucks, and I'm like realizing it every day, and I'm realizing it the more people I talk to, is that it is just sometimes so damn hard to be a woman who is trying to break through on something. I feel it in my own life. I feel it here in the sports industry. I certainly feel it in the betting industry. I feel it at work. And it's no different for a female athlete. Female athletes have to work so hard. They make no money. They're not even in it for the glory because guess what? Of the news and media coverage on sports out there, women make up 5%. So 95% pretends that women don't exist. 5% actually covers women's sports. I think what's interesting about this is in this episode, we're trying to figure out why. Why is it that women's athletes in 2021 cannot make a living wage? Why is it that women's athletes don't get 50% of the coverage on women's sports? Women make up 43% of all athletes. They get 5% of the coverage. How do we change the ratio in a way where women's sports are appealing to sports fans? Women's athletes' stories are compelling to people who love women, people who love sports, people who love drama, people who love inspiring personal journeys, people who love athleticism. Something is going on, I think, with women in general, where it's just so hard to break through. And I think what's especially so hard for women's athletes is there's just very, very few opportunities to even do so. We're going into an Olympics year. I think the Olympics is some of the best showcases of female athleticism out there. I think the way women are covered in the Olympics is at parity, if not better than men. But what's frustrating is when you think about women's sports and you think about female athletes who are looking for their chance to make money, be famous, and most importantly, compete at the highest level, the opportunities just aren't out there. And the women who are at the forefront right now are having to fight so, so hard for any type of visibility, for any type of credibility, for any type of recognition, for any type of pay. It's frankly not that different in business, which also sucks, but it's even worse if you're a female athlete. We were just reading a 2020 report from Deloitte. Uh, What Deloitte said is that women's sports is ripe for greater monetization, but for this to happen, the entire sports industry, spanning federations, leagues, teams, sponsors, and regulators, need to invest on a sustained basis in creating more opportunities for women's sports to prove their commercial worth. So... In order to talk about this, we brought on an expert. We have Dr. Nicole Lavoie. She's awesome. She's the director of the Tucker Center for Research on Girls and Women in Sports at the University of Minnesota. And she's the author of a book called Women in Sports Coaching. Nicole and I have a conversation about how is it that women are featured in the media? How is it that women as athletes are treated in the media? And why is it that there is zero coverage or 5% coverage, if we're being generous, of women's sports? So, Nicole, hit me big picture. Like, can you lay out for me, you know, one of the biggest things that is so noticeable is the difference in coverage of women's sports versus men's sports. Um, right. Lay out for me what you see happening. There's an underrepresentation of 
female athletes in women's sport in the sport media, especially mainstream sport media. And that can be digital, broadcast, newspaper, if anybody reads the newspaper anymore. But women are 43% of all athletes and receive 5% or less of all main street sport media coverage. So that's big number one. Yep. Now, number two, when they are featured, they are often featured in ways that minimize their athletic competence and highlight their femininity and heterosexuality. So what this does is sociologists like myself would argue is it minimizes their athletic competence and erases the fact that they're qualified, competent, amazing athletes, period. That's so interesting because that's true of women overall, right? Like Absolutely. I look at my position, everybody wants to talk about like, I'm a chick, what my marriage is. Like, yeah, what you look like, yeah. what you're wearing, yeah. who your partner yeah, is, what your cetera. attitude yeah. is. So it's not any different in sport, but because sport is such a visible, popular social institution in U.S. society and around the world, athletes garner more visibility than professors or, you know, CEOs. Why do we do this to women? Why, why is it this way? Uh, as someone who is a gender scholar, I go back to the root cause and the root cause is power. So the way to suppress and marginalize and minimize the accomplishments of women, especially women athletes in this context, is you erase that they exist. You don't show them in proportion to they exist in the population. And when you do, you downplay their amazing qualifications. It's a way of maintaining male privilege and power. in the system. Okay, so essentially by erasing a woman's accomplishments, whether it's in business, on the field, in on the ice, whatever it may be, by erasing her accomplishments and talking about her gender, her sexuality, her looks, her behavior, it helps to preserve a status quo, which is that women should not be seen as great executives, great athletes, great teammates, forces of nature. Is that basically what you're saying? Absolutely, 100%. And when you do not see women athletes in proportion to how they exist in reality, and when you do, they're sexualized and feminized, it tells the public who and what and why they're valued, and who and what and why is not valued. So for women athletes, the media portrays this idea that it's more important what your body looks like than what your body can mm. do. Mm -hmm. athletically. Yeah, that's interesting. So it God, reduces the agency of females. Yeah, it sucks. Reducing the agency of women, it's so it's so fucking maddening. It's 2021. And I think you would probably say this is prevalent. Like I feel like it's prevalent. I I I experience it every day. I look yes. at these these, you know, when I think about female athletes, one, they're invisible or two, the, those that do get featured are, are propped up to be perfect. Right. That's I, right. I think about my friend Paige Sprainak, right? Paige Sprainak, great golfer. She's got gorgeous boobs. She loves to show them. She wears the shortest, tightest things imaginable. And she is essentially like a harlot. 
Like, golf has completely shoved Paige Sprainak off the greens because she's just too racy. It's too much. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also, I think she flaunts the rules in some ways, which are also not appreciated. Yeah. And so what we see is that the female athletes that do get covered, they are essentially fall into what we consider normative, feminine, appropriate behavior. So if you're too racy and, you know, that might be a little too much for golf. Um, But on the flip side of golf too, they might not show women that present less feminine, um, less hypersexual, right? So they don't, there's a very small band band of women that get seen. So we don't see rugby players and football players, like American football players, um, power lifters. We see women that are conformed to a hetero-feminine norm of femininity. Hmm. And that is not most of us. A hundred percent. So you're like a big girl. You're like rocking out some power weights. You're not going to get featured. You're Paige and you're putting your boobs everywhere. You're not going to get featured. You got to fit in the middle and be packaged and perfect and to fit a very historical ideal. How do you think about the media as it relates to female athletes? Like we announced last week that we're creating a women's hockey tournament. We intentionally played on gender stereotypes. We did a slow pan up the hockey player's body. You don't see it's a woman. You don't see it's a woman. You don't see it's a woman. Up, it's Brianna Decker and it's a woman. Now, what was interesting is we loved it. We're going to get behind it. We want to see these women on the ice and we want to see a great tournament. Mm -hmm. All the comments were about Brianna, you know, what does she look like? Women's hockey sucks. Women's sports are boring. Uh, Nobody's going to watch this. Nice try, guys. So, like, why is it that the media covers things a certain way? And what is it about the viewer that continues to to crave that or demand it? (laughs) Oh, Erica, this is a a loaded one. I know. So media love to say this, that we are only covering things people are interested in. And when we say we we aren't interested in women's sport, meaning they men who are mostly in control of sport media, they aren't interested in women's sport. There are lots and lots of people interested in women's sport, despite the fact that you never see it and you have to find it. You have to opt in rather than it's in front of you. So the media, they create interest. You can't be interested in something people don't see or they don't talk about. If we never, let's just pretend for one calendar year, nobody covered the NFL. You couldn't write about it. You couldn't talk about it. You couldn't see a commercial about it. Nothing. It was a media blackout. What do you think would happen with viewership and interest in the NFL? Yeah. It would plummet. In fact, it's all, you know, we could argue viewership is already going down for the NFL, but that's a different podcast. a different podcast Um, episode. So the idea of creating interest in women's sport, the media is all powerful in that. And they create these narratives of, oh, it's boring. No one's interested. It's less than women's hockey. That's dumb because they can't check and it's not real hockey. Well, that's bullshit, right? 
What if on the flip side, they said, oh my gosh, women's hockey, women's sport, amazing. It's exciting. There's rivalries, there's storylines. They're amazing athletes. If you heard that all the time, people would get interested above and beyond the woes of us who are already interested because we have to find it. So I completely shoot down this idea that the media only covers things that they're interested in. They're only interested in things that men are interested in. Yep. Yep. It's like the masculine gaze. It affects coverage of sports in such a dramatic way. All right. Wait. So Dr. Nicole, here's my next question for you is someone like Simone Biles. Yeah. Or Naomi Osaka. They're at the top. They're fitting in the band. They look the part like check, 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 check. And then they're like, I have mental health. Uh, Like I got to step back. The pressure is too much. The media is too negative. Like they, they opt out at an inconvenient, Mm -hmm. unexpected, wrong time. um, Mm -hmm. According Mm -hmm. to broader perception, do they have people's heads in a pretzel? Like what's happening here? I think a lot's happening here. So first of all, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, yeah, they're at the top of their game. They're women in sport. They're highly visible. They have a platform. People are listening. They have a lot of followers on social media. They have power and they're women of color. And when they opt out of play at the highest level, the Olympics or the U S open, um, We can't look at them opting out in a vacuum. These women of color are within a system of sexism and racism. They live in a fishbowl. They're highly scrutinized. They've, in Simone Biles' case, she's been sexually abused and had to go through that in a very public way. We've got systemic and institutionalized racism going rampant. You know, this is a lot of layers that most of us don't have to deal with to perform at the highest level. And so I would argue that them opting out is more, is not the problem. I think it's a reflection of a system that doesn't support and value women and women of color in particular. And um, I agree. It's interesting. It's like that. That's actually the bravest thing they could do is to opt out on the top. I mean, this is what they do for a living. They want to compete and play, believe me, but they're not, I think what they're doing with this generation of athletes is saying, I want to compete, but not at the expense of my personal, mental and physical health. And that's a game changer in terms of the conversation around athlete health and well-being. It's not just win at all costs. It's let's try to strive and win and be our best and be healthy, happy, whole human beings. So one of the things that drives me nuts is, and I see this all the time in sports, and I frankly see the whole notion of girl dad, right? So I think that I have a daughter as the rationalization for why you care about women's athletics or why you care about female empowerment. It's like the, I have a gay friend, or it's the new like white person, I've got a black friend. So Talk to me about what you see happening there. Well, Eric, I too get pissed off when this comes up and it used to not bother me. Go, yeah, okay. I have a daughter. You're trying to connect and you get it and you're having empathy and now you have a different perspective and yay dads. 
But I, in the last couple of years, I've started to get really annoyed with men that say this because guess what? For most of them, you know, 95 to 98% of them, you also had a wife. (laughs) Yeah. And a mother. So you don't care about gender equity issues. You have a wife, right? If you're a heterosexual male, why did it take till you had a daughter? right? Do you not value your wife? That drives me bananas. And the, the other side of it is, yes, we need male allies to push for gender equity and valuing and supporting women in society and in sports. So yes, dads, we need you, but we need you sooner than you have a daughter because it can't be, it's too late. It's too late. So yeah. get on board now and do the right thing and be an ally and help lift women up. So I, I agree. Let's stop saying and like, oh, I have a daughter. Yay. I also right. think it's somewhat possessive. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something like you're like, I have a daughter. Like you're like some big swinging dick. And it's like, oh, shut up, dude. Like, why don't you make it better for everybody? Right. And why don't precisely that? That's my last thing. Like, I think. The last question I have for you is one of the things that I think it's the same thing in sports, regardless of what sport it is and what gender, what gender of human being is playing the sport, right? Great storylines, great athleticism, incredible physical feats, the drama of winning and losing, the energy of fans. I think those things are what make great sports. Um, When you look at men's sports, you look at hockey, you look at football, basketball, baseball, you name it, those storylines, the the media architecture is very well designed to package those storylines. When you look at the Olympics, the Olympics does a great job of packaging those storylines for women and men, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. When you look at women's sports, I think that women are trying so hard to be perfect that they almost lose the rivalry and the grit and the athleticism and the like, fuck you, fuck you. We're going to win. Like, why do you, I want to win and I want to win and I'm going to rough that chick up until I beat her down the field. Like the, there is violence in sports. That's partly what makes sports so interesting is there's, there's Mm -hmm. an element of danger in sports. Um, Why is it, do you think that women have taken the own, you know, I think women who run sports leagues and who are promoting sports, they're also showing a different ideal, which is frankly kind of boring. Like they show these women as perfect. Everyone's inclusive. They're always doing the right thing. They're helping young girls versus showing great athleticism. And I almost feel that that's part of the issue is that we we forgot what makes athletes great athletes and what makes us right. interested in them. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying is that when we try to market and promote women's sports or women's leagues or women's properties, we sort of fall into this based on like conforming to gender norms again. Like we're going to market and promote women in this traditional feminine norm like we're well behaved we cooperate we do social good it's altruistic okay fine but the other side often gets lost but then when women are hyper competitive and you know I'm going to beat you down and you know I want to win and I'm going to bloody my knuckles doing it and I'm I'm showing bravado 
And, you know, then women get criticized for that, right? So it's almost like you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. And I don't think that we've found the sweet spot in terms of marketing and promoting women's sport that's authentic, that resonates with real sport fans like you and I. And it's like, I wanna see the dirt, the blood, the sweat and the tears first and you know, competitive all out, like I'm all in. And the other stuff is good too. But I think sometimes we, we've- We inversed it. Focused on the storytelling of everything but the athleticism at the expense of sacrificing that women are kick-ass athletes. Yeah, you're right. I, I actually think that women- We've almost done the same thing, but just on the other end of the spectrum. If if the if the norm was women should be like this, act like this, do this, we created our own norm of perf- a different type of perfection, uh, a social perfection, a gender inclusion perfection. Like, and it's almost like what's missing in the middle is just sport. Right. Right. And I do think, though, that there is a new model of marketing and promoting and managing women's sport. I think it's emerging. Um, I think COVID sort of shone a light on some of the things that were effective and not effective that were longstanding, but some things that were working in terms of the wobble and women's sport were sort of leading the way, sort of the innovation of the Sports Innovation Lab and their data, the fan project. I think we're seeing some emerging nuances um, of how this could look different moving forward. That's great. Dr. Nicole, thank you so much. Okay. Take care. All right. So why are we talking about this? Um, One, I'm hugely passionate about it. I'm in like a pissed off mood about it right now because I just think it's so frustrating. It's like, I don't know. It's just like, how hard do you have to fight for things? And I really have been taken with these women's hockey players and frankly, how hard they're fighting just for a chance to play at an elite level. Like it's just, it's inspiring. It's depressing. It's maddening. It's, it's frustrating. It's all those things combined. I would agree with Dr. Nicole, like the media does not cover women's sports. Barstool sports, no exception, right? If I look at all the blogs we have, all the podcasts we have, all the videos we make, we're not covering women's sports. And what happens is, as she mentioned, when you don't cover women's sports, it's as though women's sports don't exist. What are we doing about it? So we announced last week at our upfront that we're having the Barstool Hockey Cup. I'm so fired up about this. It's going to be 60 players. It's a week-long tournament at an elite level. It's teams from all around the world. We have a European team. We have a North American team. We have a Canadian team. We obviously have an American team. I am excited to see some of the best hockey players in the world come off the Olympics and to play in New York City for a week and to show what they've got. What I also believe is that we can showcase this game in a way that can make people interested. So what I want to do is to create an environment where we bring the Chicklets guys, we bring Dave and Dan, we bring all the Barstool personalities. We showcase a week of sports that is great athleticism and we cover it unconventionally in a way that's funny, in a way that's dramatic, in a way that involves humor, in a way that showcases personality. The internet is all about personality. And I think that if women's sports allow their players to have personalities and to be themselves, they will shine. And what my hope is, 
is that by appealing to sports fans and fans of Barstool Sports, we can create more visibility for women's hockey than has ever been created before in mainstream media. So that's April 2022. All right. So before I let you go, now that I've been on my rant, uh, let's just have a drink. So I like to drink high noon. It's real vodka, real juice, and a splash of soda. Peach is my favorite flavor. You can get it at the liquor store. You can get it at the grocery store. If you are fired up about your accomplishments as a female athlete or a female executive or a woman just trying to make it in the world. Give yourself a big cheers and get yourself a high noon. High noon also brings to life adulting for us. And everyone knows here that we are all just trying to adult. All right. So our adulting topic today is really get your drinks out for this is how to manage your manager. If you are working and you have a bad manager, what do you do about it? This is an awkward one, right? Like if you think about what you don't want to do today, it's figure out how to manage your boss. You're probably like, why do I have to manage my boss? Like my boss should be a great manager. My boss should know what he or she is doing. People leave their jobs because of their bosses, not because of the company. So having a bad manager is a problem. What do you do when you're in this situation and you have a manager who you're like, eh, about? First of all, you're not going to change your manager. You're not going to change your company. You you can't solve anything by worrying about changing somebody else. You got to start with you. The biggest thing you can do is to make sure you are crushing your job. Despite whatever obstacles in your way, despite whatever adversity your manager throws at you, crush your job. The second thing you can do is you can be clear with your manager about what you need to succeed. If you tell your manager, hey, I need these five things to succeed. I need a weekly one-on-one. I need clear direction and feedback. I need opportunities that put my brain in a pretzel and keep me thinking and, and intellectually stimulated in my job. If you need those things, ask for them. If you need an attaboy once a week, tell your manager you need that. Your manager may not be who you would choose to have as your manager, and your manager may not be great. But the least that you can do is to make sure you're great And to make sure you're clear with your manager what you need from them. If your manager doesn't deliver it for you, then you have a choice. Do you find a new manager? Do you talk to HR? Do you go to your manager's manager? Or do you go find a new job with a better manager? If you go for a new job with a better manager, make sure in that interview process that you're interviewing the hiring manager as much as they're interviewing you. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for everyone who has made it this far. We are trying to shorten this thing up. So we appreciate you sticking through with us even through a life insurance ad. I'm so excited to have life insurance advertising. Uh, We are answering questions for for next week's episode. So you can DM us, you can DM me, you can DM Token CEO, or you can call us at 440-462-1729. You can watch this episode on YouTube. You can join our Token CEO Facebook group. You can find us on LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. And we'll see you back here Thursday. (laughs) 